But uh, as you know, we have been doing a series called Simplify, and uh, there's one particular topic that really seemed to be a great topic to talk about on Easter Sunday. It's called Wounded to Whole. I have a question, and I know I'm going to see a lot of hands on this one. Have you ever been wronged? Okay, a lot of hands, right? You know, uh, even speaking of the uh, 30 plus, it was a 40 plus, but 30 plus showed up uh, meeting, it was really good for us to hear our singles, our singles who by choice or simply by timing do not have a spouse, how they felt. And it was very sobering to hear how many have been wronged, even by us, by our insensitivity, by our ignorance, sometimes even by our actual wickedness. And uh, it was very sobering to hear, and I hope it's something that we're really going to change. And Because in the Bible, there is no delineation based off your marital status. You're all the body of Christ. There's only one verse in the entire Bible that says married or unmarried. In fact, single is not even in the Bible. So we need to come up with a different name for the singles ministry. Because even that word single, we found out that some people felt that was wrong. They didn't feel single. So I don't know what term you can use, and there's some terms we can't escape, but the reality is we're wronged. There's a great quote from Bill Hybels who wrote the book Simplify. says, Sometimes we grossly underestimate the true cost of living with a relational rift. We think we can go about our lives unaffected by conflicts and fractures with people we care about. But this, of course, is far from true. Relational breakdowns extract energy from us. They take up headspace and heart space. They hang over us like a dark gray cloud. Wrongs become wounds. And wounds don't just heal very easily. You can't live a simplified life if you're carrying around wounds in your heart and in your mind. You know, Bill Hybels in this chapter actually, in dealing with wounds and dealing with wrongs, learned that there's really different categories of wrongs. He lists these three just very quickly. Category one is a minor offense. Category two, though, is now legitimate wounds. And you pray this never happens, but it does. Category three is life-shattering injustices. Let's explain them in a little more detail. And in the process, we may even learn from Easter the example and model of Jesus of how these wounds can be made whole. How we can be healed, as the Scriptures say, by His wounds. We are healed. I think Easter is an appropriate way to discuss this issue. The passion story can show us the way to go from wounded to whole. So let's start with the first one, minor offenses. Now, of course, what we may say minor may not be minor to you. (laughs) But minor offenses in most cases are really nothing more than a slight. But the offended party loses track of reality and considers the offense proportionally larger than it is. Or is blind, possibly to the other person's perspective on this issue. A lot of minor offenses actually are not 
an actual offense from the offender, but sometimes what someone gossips about. So often minor offenses we take as an offense, when we actually follow the line back to the source, it was never an offense at all. But we can't stop that, can we? Some offenses are intended, others not at all. But to those who are wronged, to those who are wounded, it's an offense. And if we don't deal with it, that wrong turns into a wound. He gave a very interesting suggestion of how to handle minor offenses. He said you need to ask this question to yourself and to others who come complaining of minor offenses. Really? I like, really? That, that's what you're going to say? Really? And when he actually went on to explain it, you realize that actually is a great question. When you compare the injustice of this world to your minor offense, are you really going to make this that big a deal? I think that's a great question. We got like, really? Just turn on the news. I bet your minor offense is not such a big deal. Now, it doesn't mean they don't happen or they don't cause, cause pain or leave a wound of some kind, but we've got to learn to deal with these kind of consequences, these minor offenses. You know, 1 Corinthians 13.5, on the whole thing about love, it says this, It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. In other words, see, when you're empty in your energy bucket, as we discussed in the very first lesson about simplifying your life, if you're empty, then these minor offenses become major. These minor offenses are irritating, frustrating, agitating. They, they get your blood boiling. But if your bucket is full of love, then according to this verse, love is not easily angered. You won't be offended by it. And you keep no record of wrong, so you're not going to hold it against them. But the question is, what about Jesus? Was He ever offended? Oh, yes. How did He respond to it? Because isn't that who we want to, to, to emulate? Well, look at this passage in 1 Peter 2. It's quite challenging, quite convicting. In verse 21 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, it says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. So what are we asked to do? And guess what His steps are going to refer to? How to deal with wounds. How to deal with minor offenses and greater, which we will get to. It says He committed no sin. So when the first offense takes place, we may not voice it, but don't we sin a lot of times? Like we're already thinking how we're going to bring justice on them. Jesus, even in that moment of the offense, even the initial reaction, He didn't sin. And then He goes further, it says, He had no deceit was found in His mouth. Well, what does that mean? Well, we may have that initial sin in our mind, but then someone asks, are you okay? Oh yeah, I'm fine. And you just lied. Because you're not fine. You're actually you're thinking about it. it it's, it's, it's festering in your heart. Jesus didn't even sin initially, and then it never even led to Him lying because He really did not hold it. He did not hold on to it. Wow! When they hurled their insults at Him, minor offenses, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. See, when we get offended, we become the judge. 
We want justice, right? But the reality is, we're not great judges. Only God is. And He will judge justly. And if it's not here on earth, it's going to be a lot scarier when it's before Him. But do we want to take that into our own hands? Jesus didn't do that. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you ever feel you have the right to retaliate? I'm not saying you should, but you feel. Right? That you have the right to retire. I mean, especially if it's an offense that you didn't cause, you didn't initiate, there was nothing you did. You're innocent. Right? That's not all the time, of course, but in most minor offenses, you may not have been a party to the offense, but you receive it. Yeah, I know. It kind of depends, doesn't it? But we feel we have this right. But you notice, Jesus, if anyone had the right, it was Jesus. And yet he didn't. He did not retaliate. And because of His wounds, we are healed. we got to keep this in mind as we get on to the harder offenses. But the action step of how to deal with minor offenses is simply this. Release. Shake it off, as the song says. Shake it off. Right? Just, just shake it. Just release the minor offense. Because in most cases, the one who offended you could really care less. They may not even know they have offended you, and yet you're carrying the burden. You're carrying the angst. You're carrying the wrong that if not dealt with, if not released, will become a wound. A wound that will prevent you from being whole. A wound that will prevent you from simplifying your life. But then it moves on to bigger ones. Okay? And I bet we all fit in this category. Legitimate wounds. These are wounds that unfortunately require resolution and healing. Often it's where the wounded party is tempted to cry for justice of some sort. Wrongdoers deserve punishment, right? 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 Well, before you answer, I tricked you there. Bill Hybels comments on on that question. Is it right? To demand justice? Here's a quote. It says, The trouble with that sort of thinking is that it doesn't give the depth of satisfaction the aggrieved person thinks or hopes it will. And focusing our energies on revenge, seeking doesn't lead to a simplified life. As understandable as it is to want the people who hurt us to pay in some manner, justice-seeking alone never leads to relational peace. Isn't that true? Again, how did Jesus respond to legitimate wounds? And He had legitimate wounds. Just read the Passion account. They were legitimate wounds. Flesh-tearing wounds. Betrayal wounds. Right? And we look at our legitimate wounds, and they are legitimate. And when you deal with someone that's sharing a legitimate wound, there's really not a whole lot you can say except, I'm sorry. Can I pray with you? We have to, we got to hear it. We can't, it's not a time to correct it, right? If you've done that, you created another wound. You've got to hear them out. 
And that's not easy sometimes. And it depends on the situation if we have a history with that same wound or not. Are we sensitive? Are we not? But they're legitimate. But how did Jesus respond to this? You know, legitimate wounds can be all kinds of different things in all kinds of different circumstances. But how did Jesus respond to, for example, betrayal? You ever been betrayed? You ever been betrayed by someone? It hurts, doesn't it? Whether it was intended or it was a backstabbing, it, it, it's just this, this wound. How did Jesus respond to that? Did He have betrayal? Oh, yes, He did. Luke 22, verse 60 in the Passion account. It says, right as Peter was denying Him, it says, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. That's in reference to, I don't know Jesus. Just as he was speaking that third time, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken of. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. That, that's a scary passage right there. That at some point, Jesus might have been brought back into the court area and right as he the third time says, I do not know the man! The rooster crows. And through the crowd, Peter sees directly into the eyes of Jesus. And yes, I know Jesus said it was going to happen. But he was still human. That still had to hurt. That was a legitimate wound of betrayal. Only just hours ago, Peter, you said you would die for me. He had to have felt it. And how did he deal with it? What was the way he was going to resolve this wound? Well, unfortunately, he didn't have a chance, and that's what happens sometimes, right? You want to reconcile, you want to resolve it, but maybe they've moved, or you've moved, or you can't find the time, or you can't schedule it, or they don't want to meet with you. In this case, Peter left that weeping bitterly, and the next time he'd see Jesus, was only hearing about it that he was dead. How scary that moment is when you have a wound that needs absolutely reconciliation with a person, especially if you're the wrongdoer, and you don't have a chance to because now they're gone. There's no hope now. So though you can try to move on, that wound will never completely become whole again. And that's Peter's situation. He was the wrongdoer. Jesus was the one wronged. I know for some of us, if we were wrong like that, we'd go like, good for them. I'm glad they feel that way for the rest of their life. But that's not Jesus. When He raised again, He was so concerned about this legitimate wound He received from His dear friend Peter that He wanted to resolve it as quickly as possible. And we read this in Mark 16, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, He said, as the angels are speaking to those who are at the empty tomb. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen! He is not here! See the place where they laid Him. But go tell His disciples and Peter. Why did He have to single out Peter? I have this feeling that as Jesus rose again, and the angels were there, and the women were there, He says, hey, angels, make sure you tell the women to tell Peter. I'm still here. Because I know He wronged me. He wounded me, but He's the one suffering now. Because He thought there was no hope of reconciliation, but I have risen again. Let Peter 
No. This is how important to Jesus that when I have an illegitimate wound, I cannot let it go on. Even though I'm the one wounded, Jesus, His first intention after resurrection is, this must be resolved. How about us? When we're inflicted, are we modeling like Jesus in our response? He says, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him just as He told you. What's interesting is we know from the Scriptures Jesus appeared to the disciples three times. One time to Peter alone. And yet the relationship had not been reconciled. Not until Jesus again, in the end of John chapter, in the last chapter of John, He pulls Peter aside. And you remember the question, right? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know. Do you love me? Three times. Jesus made sure that that legitimate wound was resolved. Peter didn't do it. He had plenty of opportunities. He'd seen Jesus several times. Now, there's one problem with legitimate wounds. Even when we do everything right to reconcile, sometimes the other person doesn't want to. Peter didn't want to initially. He was still dealing with it. Fortunately, eventually he did. But what do we do when we've tried everything that we need to do to deal with a legitimate wound, but the offender doesn't want to reconcile? Take this passage into heart. Romans 12, 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, if you've done everything you can do, you're free and clear. You've got to leave it in God's hands. You can't control other people's responses. But you can take the first step. Because reconciling your relationships is a vital step towards simplifying your life. What do we need to do when there's a legitimate room? What's the action step? It's resolve legitimate wounds. Don't let them fester. Because if you do, you'll never be able to be whole. It's not about the offender. It's about you being made whole. That the wounded is made whole. But now we get to the hardest one of them all. Some of you in this room have, by the grace of God only, maybe have been spared these. But I know in a group this size and with the different diversity and ages and experiences, I know there are many in this room that even bringing this topic up can bring again those scars. These are those life-shattering injustices. These are those unthinkable tragedies that can forever change the outcome of your life. Adultery, major illnesses, death, especially unexpected, abuse of any kind. These are just some of the possibilities. These are very difficult to overcome, but not impossible. They require only what Jesus can provide through our Easter weekend that we celebrate. Forgiveness. That, that is the only way that these kinds of wounds can we then be made whole again, is forgiveness. You know, Adam Hamilton in his book, Forgiveness, Finding Peace Through Letting Go, describes two dimensions of forgiveness, and these are very difficult. It says, there is your internal release of bitterness, anger, or desire for revenge, and then there's the extension of mercy 
toward the one who has wronged you. Regarding your release of anger, bitterness, and desire for revenge, you must forgive. The more serious the wound, the longer the process may take. But failure to forgive in this sense gives power to the one who wronged you. It is you, not they, who are hurt by your unwillingness to forgive. But in the second dimension of forgiveness, extending mercy to those who have wronged us, we may actually harm wrongdoers if we extend mercy too quickly. Wrestling with the hurt they have caused is part of their redemptive process. And for Christians, redemption should always be our goal. I think that's some very wise advice. Yes, it's great if we have this heart that we can just forgive any offense, even these life-shattering injustices. But sometimes you need to let them experience and feel how you hurt them. It was so good to hear those singles share the wounds. I needed to know. I need to understand. I can't understand completely because I'm not in their situation. But I need to know how they're hurt. Because without it, how can I change? How can I become more sensitive? How can I be more empathetic? But at the end of the day, whether they ask for forgiveness or whether they choose to reconcile, whether they choose to repent, we at some point have to forgive. Truly, the greatest life-shattering injustice in the history of mankind was death by cross of Jesus Christ. Right? No matter how tremendous your injustice has been, and there are some horrendous ones, could they compare to the death of the innocent Son of God? The injustices that He received? No. And that's what needs to humble us, even in our hardest pains. They can't compare to what Jesus experienced, the injustice that He received. Because, see, we all sinned. None of us is innocent of His injustice. Not one of us. And yet this is probably the most powerful part of the Passion account outside of the resurrection that brings us hope is how did Jesus respond to the life-shattering injustice that was put on Him? Turn to Luke 23, verse 33. He responded with one of the most simple and most revolutionary prayers in the history of mankind. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Him there along with the criminals, one on His right, the other on His left. Jesus said, looking down at trained killers, the soldiers who mocked Him, hit Him, spit on Him, crucified Him. And He knew that even in their hearts, they may even have enjoyed it. These are the men that He's speaking about. These are the offenders, the ones who created this intense injustice. And how did He respond? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. 
If that's how Jesus responded, no matter what pain, no matter what injustice, and I'm not trying to belittle or lessen the, the, the angst or the pain or, or the damage that's done in your life, but if Jesus can respond that way, do we have any excuse to want to retaliate? To want to hold on? To want to see justice done? Justice was done with our sin on Jesus rather than justice being done with our sin on us. Father, forgive them. And, and this phrase, you know, we, we, we say it so, so quickly and we don't really think about it. It's like, wait a minute. Didn't they know what they were doing? From a human perspective, these are trained soldiers. They're trained to crucify. They're trained to cause pain. They knew exactly what they were doing. But that's not what Jesus is referring to. He's referring to a much greater injustice and that's what sin does to you. He's not even really, I think, thinking of the sin done toward Him. He's thinking of the sin that, yes, done toward Him before the Father is actually damaging them. Out of empathy to the injustice treated on Him, He's going, Father, forgive, for they don't know what they're doing. And in reality, we're no different than these murderers. Because we sit and think, oh, I'll change, I'll repent. And you don't know what you're doing. That every time you give in, you're putting another nail into Jesus. Well, those are just a big... No, any sin. Any sin. Wow. And yet the Lord says, Father, forgive Fred. He doesn't know what he's doing. Lord, forgive Abby. She doesn't know what she's doing. But whatever you did this week, guys, Jesus on that cross is saying, Father, forgive you. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. wow. That, that puts Jesus on a whole other level of someone that despite life-shattering injustices, chooses not to retaliate, to seek justice. In fact, He embraces the justice of their sin on Himself. suffering and justice, Jesus forgave. This is what is truly the power of Easter. What's the action step here? And I know this is not an easy one, depending on our circumstance, our injustice. But Jesus just showed us the way. You have to reconcile life-shattering injustices. I'd like to close with Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Amen. If you continue in your faith, there's a condition, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the Gospel. Amen. What did Jesus accomplish in Easter? 
No matter what your wound is, minor offense, legitimate wound, or life-shattering injustice, He made the wound whole. You were alienated, now you're holy. You were an enemy, now you're without blemish. You were evil, and now you're free from accusation. See, only Jesus can help us to go from wounded to whole. Only through forgiveness that He modeled and then allowed us to have. Forgiveness and reconciliation is the only way our wounds can be made whole. We need to make a decision this Easter and every day henceforth that we're going to imitate Him. How should we? We need to release, let go, shake it off, our minor offenses. And we need to resolve our legitimate wounds. And if by some unfortunate circumstance you have a life-shattering injustice, pray to have the strength of Jesus and reconcile. What do we need to leave with? What really one action step will solve all wounds? Forgive. If that's the only thing you leave with, choose to forgive. Because only by forgiving, which is provided by Jesus' death and His subsequent resurrection, can you move from wounded to whole. You can finally move to a more simplified life. Let us, this Easter, imitate Jesus. Let us forgive.